0: Hey, American Hauntings fans, it's Troy. Not to blow our own horn, but the reviews have been coming in for the new season of our Patreon podcast. And if you're not a supporter of the show over there, you should be. Our new season is called Sinister, and it features the life and crimes of H.H. Holmes, the serial killer, swindler, builder of the murder castle, and the villain of the 1893 World's Fair. Some of the reviews have called it amazing, which may be an exaggeration, but they've said it gives life to this truly sinister man. Another said I've learned details I've never heard before, and another one said the sound effects are excellent and never overpower the dialogue and creatively enhance the story. So if you want to find out what all those folks are listening to, become a supporter and check out the Dead Men Do Tell Tale Tales podcast at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And now on with this show. It was pretty much the storyline of a mystery novel. A young woman carrying nothing but a small suitcase, kisses her daughter goodbye and disappears from the home she shares with her husband, who's having an affair with another woman. A short time later, her car is found abandoned in the country, but there's no trace of the occupant. A few days later, the woman's brother-in-law receives a mysterious letter claiming she's going to a spa for some rest and treatment, but the police are unconvinced by the letter and continue the search. By now, the public, the police, and the press all fear the worst. One of the woman's dogs is brought to the scene to search for his master's scent, but the trail ominously leads to a pond called the Silent Pool, which local legend claims is bottomless. The police are so certain it's a case of suicide that even a group of spiritualists hurry to the quarry where the car is found to hold a seance. But the spirit world offers no clues, and the world waits anxiously to see what happened to the woman. Now, I know what you're thinking. This could be the plot of an Agatha Christie novel. And if you're thinking that, you'd be close. It's actually an incident that occurred in the real life of Agatha Christie when the writer inexplicably vanished in December 1926. On the night of December 4th, Agatha kissed her daughter goodbye and slipped out of the home she shared with her husband, Colonel Archibald Christie, and disappeared into the night. Her car was found at the edge of a chalk quarry. It had been running, and she had apparently planned for it to plunge into the pond, but thick hedges prevented it from going over the edge. The newspaper reported that the police had found clues nearby, including a bottle labeled poison, fragments of a torn-up postcard, a woman's fur-lined coat, a box of face powder, the end of a loaf of bread, a cardboard box, and two children's books. Well, the police did all they could to find her, bringing one of her dogs to the scene, dragging the pond, scouring the area, checking train schedules, and more. They appealed to motorists and amateur sleuths who might be prowling about the area. When detectives called for volunteers to help in the search, between 10 and 15,000 people showed up, bringing all kinds of dogs to try and track her down. But there was no sign of the writer, who at age 36 had already published a number of novels to great acclaim. The whole world seemed to be watching as this story played out. A week after Agatha's disappearance, the police were stumped. She'd not been seen by any reliable witness during that time, and suicide seemed the most likely ending to the tragic story. The newspapers reported that detectives in the case, quote, have information which they refuse to divulge and which leads them to the view that Mrs. Christie had no intention of returning when she left home. Rumors began flying that she'd left behind a sealed envelope that was only to be opened in the event her body was discovered. Well, there were letters, but no suicide note. It was discovered that Agatha had mailed three letters delivered after her vanishing. One was to her brother-in-law, in which she mentions going away to a spa. Another was to her secretary, which only contained some scheduling details. And the third was to her husband, who refused to reveal what she'd written to anyone. Opinions veered from foul play to suicide to some sort of hoax. But Agatha's secretary was quick to weigh in about that. It's ridiculous, she announced. Mrs. Christie is quite too much of a lady for that. And then on December 15th, nine days after she vanished, Agatha was found at a health spa in Yorkshire. Her husband informed reporters that she did not know who she was. She had suffered, he claimed, from the most complete loss of memory. It was discovered that Agatha had checked into the spa under the name Mrs. Tressa Neal. When asked, Colonel Christie insisted that he had no idea of the meaning of that particular name, nor, he added, did his wife. Well, many years later, it was revealed that Tressa Neal was the name of the young woman that Agatha's husband had been sleeping with. Colonel Christie, who as a newspaper reporter noted, was welcomed by her with a stony stare, came to Harrogate and collected his wife. Hundreds of Agatha's fans greeted them at a London train station as they made their way home. The story of Agatha Christie's disappearance does have one more chapter. It occurred 15 months later when Agatha sued her husband for divorce. Both would later remarry, and yes, Colonel Christie married Tressa Neal, but what really happened during those nine days in 1926 remains a mystery. Was it revenge, depression, or amnesia? We'll never know. Agatha only ever spoke about it once, claiming she'd struck her head and remembered nothing that happened until waking up at the spa in Yorkshire. As for her marriage and divorce, they received only a terse comment in her autobiography. There is no need to dwell on it, she wrote. Agatha Christie attracted the attention of the entire world when she vanished in 1926. Luckily, she turned up again and was able to entertain her readers with dozens more books during her time on this earth. We've never been left with questions about her fate. But not every writer who has disappeared has been so lucky. When Barbara Newhall Follett disappeared in 1939, hardly anyone noticed it all. By then though, her days as a child prodigy had long since passed, which made it possible for her to just walk away one day and slip off the edge of the world. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our latest season, Gone, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. America has a long history of strangeness and unexplainable happenings. Tragic events have occurred here and mysteries exist for which no rational explanation can be found. Those mysteries include unsolved disappearances like the ones we're featuring this season. We've opened the files on people who have gone missing, vanished without a trace, and have never been seen again. Their stories are haunting, heartbreaking, and tragic. They're bizarre, unexpected, and sometimes seem impossible. But one thing we do know is that they did happen. These people walked out the door one day and never returned. Their stories have no conclusion. Their cases remain open. Their mysteries are unsolved. They are gone. But we aren't allowing them to be forgotten. This is episode 11 of the season, a story of a writer who proves that truth is sometimes much stranger than fiction. The note was hanging on the door. It was right in the center of the wooden panel at just the right height for an adult's eyes. A thumbtack had been pressed into the wood holding the note in place. It had been neatly typewritten and it read, Nobody may come into this room if the door is shut tight. If it is shut, not quite latched, it is all right without knocking. The person in this room, if he agrees that one shall come in, will say, come in, or something like that. And if he does not agree to it, he will say, not yet, please, or something like that. The door may be shut if nobody is in the room, but if a person wants to come in, knocks and hears no answer, that means there is no one in the room and he must not go in. Reason? If the door is shut tight and a person is in the room, the shut door means that the person in the room wishes to be left alone. That note was attached to the bedroom door of Barbara Newhall Follett because she didn't want to be disturbed while she was in the process of writing her first novel. It was 1923, and she was eight years old at the time. No one knew then that she would publish her first book five years after that note was written, or that 31 years later, Barbara's days as a child prodigy would be over, and so would her writing career. And of course, no one knew that, like a character in her most famous book, who disappeared into the forest one day, Barbara would also vanish, never to be seen again. Barbara Newhall Follett was born on March 4th, 1914, to book critic and editor Wilson Follett and his wife, Helen. Like most parents, the Folletts considered their daughter to be special, Gifted even, but they didn't realize just how special she was. Not at first. Barbara was obsessed with words and letters. When she was just three years old, she discovered her father's typewriter and to his delight, she became fascinated with the machine. A typewriter her parents realized could unleash a flood of thoughts from a gifted child who still lacked the coordination to write in pencil. By the time she turned five, she was being homeschooled by her mother. She should have started preschool or kindergarten, but Barbara was so far ahead of other children that she was quickly bored while playing with others or watching them learn things she taught herself long before. Learning at home allowed Barbara as much time as she wanted to pursue her creative interests. She began her first book, The Life of the Spinning Wheel, the Rocking Horse, and the Rabbit, at the age of eight, ignoring the time she would be spending with friends in order to write. She loved her family and close friends, and she wrote them warm and wonderful notes, but they just quickly had to learn that they came second to her writing. Neighborhood children who didn't understand this were coldly dismissed. You don't understand why I have my work to do, because at this particular time, you have none at all. She wrote in a letter to a complaining former playmate. Like any young girl, she was fascinated by flowers, butterflies, and all kinds of nature. This was expressed in the stories, poems, and fairy tales she wrote. During her childhood, she created an imaginary world called Farskolia and created an entire language and vocabulary that was spoken by the inhabitants. There was no question, this was not an ordinary child. In 1923, Barbara began her most extensive project yet, a complete novel. She typed up the note that she pinned to her bedroom door and started working. On some days, she wrote more than 4,000 words. Over the next five years, she wrote and rewrote a story of a young girl who ventures into the woods and vanishes, becoming a part of nature. And then finally, in 1926, after many drafts and a house fire that destroyed one of them, she finished the book. Barbara was now 12 years old. The book was titled The House Without Windows, and she explained that it was a story about a girl who ran away from loneliness only to find a new life and new friends among the animals in the woods. She'd envisioned it as a vanity project. Her father planned to edit the manuscript, copy it, and then have a printer bind some copies for family and friends. But Wilson Follett came up with a better idea. He was, at the time, working for Knopf Publishing in New York, and he decided to pass the novel to an editor there. He never mentioned it was written by his daughter or that she was only 12. After one read-through, it was approved for publication. The book was released in February 1927, and it attracted glowing reviews. The New York Times praised the book, as did famed English children's author Eleanor Farjohn, who said, I don't know what to call this book except a miracle. The Saturday Review of Literature found the book almost unbearably beautiful. Soon, people all over the world discovered this new, engaging young author, and Barbara became famous overnight. The public demanded more stories and writings from her. A newspaper asked her to review the latest book by Winnie the Pooh author A.A. Milne. Famed journalist H.L. Mencken wrote to the Follett's with congratulations. In his later, he stated, you are bringing up the greatest critic we hear of in America. But one critic definitely was not impressed. And Carol Moore wrote in the New York Herald Tribune, I can conceive of no greater handicap for the writer between the ages of 19 and 39 than to have published a successful book between the age of 9 and 12. You know, if that's something done every day. But Moore was the creator of the Children's Room at the New York Public Library and was one of the most influential critics of children's literature in America. Her issues were not with Barbara's writing, but with Barbara herself. She wrote, I have only words of praise for the story itself. The house without windows is exquisite, but that it was published at all. It is playing with fire. What price will Barbara have to pay for her big days at the typewriter? Moore declared that Barbara needed to be outside playing with children her own age. She should grow up unburdened by early fame. And she added, there are no satisfactions comparable to a free and spacious childhood with a clear title to one's own good name at maturity. Well, Barbara wasn't having it. Angry with Moore's criticism, she responded with a fiery letter. And in it, she wrote, it is surely very rash to slam down in the mud, a childhood and a system of living that you know nothing about. I am very much amused at the favorable reviews that are being written. I do not take them at all seriously, but I do take seriously an article that distorts into a miserable caricature of my living, my education, and my whole personality. To read my book as if I were tyrannized over insults both myself and my parents. The book is an expression of joy, no more. Now keep in mind, Barbara was 12 when she wrote this reply. Well, the reviews were still rolling in for her first book when Barbara announced her second. She was going to become a pirate and take to the sea as a ship's crewman so she could do proper research for her next book. Even though she'd just turned 13, her parents found a lumber schooner to take her aboard as a passenger who insisted on doing chores. She traveled with the crew from New York to Nova Scotia and back, anxious to start writing again. Her book, The Voyage of the Norman D., was written at a frenetic pace. She returned from her journey in July, and the finished manuscript was in the hands of her editor at Knopf in November. The book was in stores by the following March. Once again, readers and critics were stunned by her work. Barbara was no longer considered a cute young authoress, but a real writer. The Saturday Review featured her book alongside Dorothy Parker's latest, declaring it a fine, sustained, and vivid piece of writing. And yet the New York Times couldn't resist pointing out Miss Barbara Newhall Follett celebrated her 14th birthday just 12 days before the publication. To most people, this just solidified the fact that Barbara's future was bright and she had many years of writing ahead of her. But in fact, the opposite was true. On the surface, things seemed wonderful, but inside, Barbara's heart was breaking. And she didn't know it yet, but her career was almost over. Just days before the publication of her second book, Wilson Follett had delivered devastating news. Her father, in the middle of a midlife crisis, had decided to leave his family for a younger woman. Barbara's mother, Helen, was devastated, but Barbara was enraged by her father's betrayal. She pleaded with him to come to his senses, but there was nothing she could do to change his mind. She would always feel that at the moment of her greatest success, she was abandoned by the man who had fostered all her ambitions. To make it worse, Wilson left them with little money. At first, Helen tried to be optimistic and proposed that she and Barbara have an adventure. They take their typewriters to sea, sail to Tahiti, and write books, but Helen quickly tired of the plan and of dragging her young daughter around the world with her. In September 1929, Barbara was dropped off with family friends in Los Angeles. Feeling alone and abandoned, she ran away to San Francisco, hid out in a hotel, and wrote poetry. The friends had reported her as a runaway, though, and the police were looking for her. When they found her, they broke into her hotel room and narrowly kept her from escaping out the window. Barbara was still famous enough that the story made national news, and she and her mother were reunited in New York. By now, their financial situation was so severe that Barbara, who had just turned 16, had to find work. But there wasn't much work to be found. It was March 1930 and the Wall Street crash had occurred just months before. The Follets were far from the only people in New York who were desperate for work. After a course in shorthand and business typing, something Barbara called a decidedly more tawdry use of a typewriter's magic, she began working as a secretary. In her spare time though, she kept writing. She got up early every morning so she could produce some pages before she had to take the subway to the office. She was hard at work on a new book called Lost Island. By 1934, she'd finished it and had written one more, a short travel book about the Appalachian Trail called Travels Without a Donkey, which would never actually be published. Barbara was worn down by the six years without encouragement from her father or from an editor. She was tired from the constant strain of scrounging up money to put food on the table and the stress of working long days for such little reward. She was burned out, tired, and broken. She wasn't a child prodigy anymore. She was just a young woman who wanted an ordinary life. The only break from Barbara's day-to-day life was when she met and found a kindred soul in an outdoorsman named Nickerson Rogers. They fell in love and eloped and Barbara seemed happy and content with a simple, peaceful life. They decided to leave the city and settle in Brookline, Massachusetts, where the pace was slow and the people were friendly and where Barbara suddenly found herself with way too much time to think. The young woman who was once America's next great novelist had no high school degree, few work skills, no job, and was a teenage bride. She wanted to be happy and she needed a distraction. Her husband, knowing the only way to keep her was to let her find her way, encouraged her to take some time to discover what might make her happy. They scraped together some money and she began to travel. Barbara backpacked through Europe, working when she needed to. She returned to America, and between secretarial jobs in New York and Boston, she discovered dance. She began taking classes, traveling west to Mills College for more. She loved college life, something she'd never been able to experience as a child prodigy. Along the way, she had stayed in touch with her husband, Nick, and he promised to be waiting for her when she returned. Feeling happy and fulfilled, Barbara went back to Brookline in November 1939, only to be shaken by something even worse than her father's abandonment. Her husband had been cheating on her all along. She wrote in a letter to a friend, There is somebody else. I had it coming to me, I know. Barbara blamed herself for everything, and her despair was so deep that she became dependent on sleeping pills to get any rest at all. Nick promised to end his affair and work to gain back her trust, but Barbara had been betrayed again by the most important man in her life, and soon, her letters grew darker. She wrote to another friend, On the surface, things are terribly, terribly calm and wrong. I still think there's a chance that the outcome will be a happy one, but I would have to think that anyway in order to live, so you can draw any conclusions you like from that. Tension simmered in the house as Barbara tried to deal with the chaos she felt her life had become. Soon, she and Nick were arguing frequently, and their home echoed with the sounds of slamming doors, breaking glass, and angry accusations. Then, after an argument on the evening of December 7th, 1939, Barbara walked out of the house with $30 in her wallet, and she never came back. Nick Rogers waited two weeks before reporting his wife's disappearance to the police and waited another four weeks before filing a missing person report. Hospitals and morgues were contacted, hotels were searched, and train and bus stations were contacted, but the trail had just gone too cold. There was no sign of her. A few stories were printed in newspapers, but few people noticed. The articles all tried to draw attention to a missing woman named Barbara Rogers. Nick never bothered to tell the reporters his wife's maiden name and take advantage of the fame she still had left. Thanks to this, the story soon vanished from even the back pages of local papers. It wasn't until 1963 when Helen co-authored an essay for the Atlantic magazine called To a Daughter One Year Lost that the public realized that Barbara was missing at all. Helen belatedly discovered how little Nick Rogers had looked for Barbara and began pressing the authorities to reopen her case. By then, though, many years had passed. She was convinced there was foul play involved in Barbara's disappearance and paid numerous visits to Brookline's police chief. She also wrote a scathing letter to Nick Rogers. In it, she said... All the silence on your part looks as if you have something to hide concerning Barbara's disappearance. You cannot believe I shall sit idle during my last few years and not make whatever effort I can to find out whether she is alive or dead, whether perhaps she is in some institution suffering from amnesia or a nervous breakdown. Helen continued the search for as long as her health allowed. Her efforts did bring fresh interest in the disappearance as well as in Barbara's books which were reprinted in the late 1960s, but the attention soon faded. Barbara's story had no ending. There was no final chapter because to this day, no trace of her has ever been found. Most of those who knew her best came to believe that Barbara simply decided to follow the storylines of her books in which the characters went off to the woods or out to sea when their troubles became too great. She'd simply tired of reality, they all thought, and she decided to create a new reality from her own imagination. Was this the case? Possibly, I don't think we'll ever know for sure though, what happened to the young genius who only ever wanted to be left alone to write her books. Her writing was something she could escape into and shut out the disappointments, loneliness, and betrayals that existed all around her. I think her disappearance, no matter how it happened, can best be explained by the final words of her book, The House Without Windows. When the lonely girl vanished forever into the wilderness. The book and Barbara's story ends like this. She would be invisible forever to all mortals, save those few who have minds to believe, eyes to see. To these she is ever present, the spirit of nature, a sprite of the meadow, a naiad of the lakes, a nymph of the woods.
1: start with the main episode like we did oh, last sure. time and yeah, then yeah yeah that works go for it all right. do. right i'm good to go if you are then yep all right thanks for returning for more episodes of the american Hauntings podcast where we discuss history hauntings legends lore and the dark side of american history this is season seven of the podcast which we call gone that's
0: a good one too is that a good one i like that yeah, yeah I-, I, I really was as you were reading that, I'm like, hey, how am I going to say this? This Yeah, I so, yeah,
1: like to yeah keep you on your toes and you get something different and new each
0: time.
1: I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my uh, whispering co-host, author, historian, <laughs> I'm crime just going to
0: whisper the whole rest of the episode.
1: The founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. That might actually help <coughs> if we have any microphone uh, yeah, issues. Yeah, is yeah, right? yeah,
0: yeah. Huh. Oh, <laughs> it, what's going on? It's too loud. Man? I just
1: yeah, that's the quietest I've ever heard you yeah, be.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't do it for very long. So, uh,
1: well, what's going no, on? Everything's you, good. You, you yeah, were just, just talking busy. about uh, a busy, new and kind of a well, not a
0: new, but a new back or uh, renew. Oh, yeah, that's new ish. Um, yeah, I we um, I, I I've started we've got like three different dinner tours now because I couldn't just keep doing Ghost of the River Road tours, I, I like them. But mm-hmm. I, I I didn't want to stop liking them, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so right. I added a couple of other dinner tours. One stays in Alton and the other one is a uh, Great River Hauntings, which is also a river road tour, but it's different. Um, we do different stops on it. Um, and we also have dinner at Pier Marquette Lodge, so which is fun because we go up there and um we leave right from the mineral spring to go straight to Pier Marquet. Well, not straight to Pier Marquette, but we do some touring on the way, but then we have dinner at Pure Marquette, and um, they have that, um, you know, like on Sundays, they do that all-you-can-eat fried chicken, the family-style thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and so we get that for the group, and um, it's like a massive amount of food, more food than <laughs> you could possibly need. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of chickens that gave their lives for our meals. Um, <laughs> I will say that, but, and it was, so, I mean, it was like coming right out of the fryer, man. It was so good. Uh, so yeah, I had that on Friday night and then had a dinner on Saturday night. So, um, but yeah, we, um, I mean, I've got stuff coming up for the summer. Uh, still, and once we get past the conference, because I only do one more thing before the conference and then that is it. It's the conference. But then in July and August, there'll be more tours. Um, I've got, a um, Al Capone and Chicago gangland ghosts in August and Lizzie Borden dinner the weekend, you know, the anniversary weekend, I do Lizzie Borden's, um, dinner thing st louis exorcism american cults on august 12th which is nice. a really fun one um and then august 19th is going to be the book signing for that new book uh blood bullets and booze the one about the southern illinois gangsters so i'm really excited about that one too so really? yeah and in between there, going on vacation and going to um uh the old lake county jail in uh, crown point indiana the one that dillinger escaped from um, nice. There's a ghost hunt up there on the 22nd. I'm not in charge, but I'm going to be there. So Michelle and Tom will be running it, but friends of mine. But I, um, I'm going to go up for that one because I don't get to go all the time, and that's one of my favorite ones to go to. So, oh, so this I is, like to go. I like to sit on Dillinger's toilet things. Like right. That.
1: So it's this oh so it's, ideas, it's so. friends of yours. So this wasn't going to be a tour where you're in the back being like mm, no no not, no not no no. Right? No,
0: it's it's one of our it's one of our events. It's one of our ghost hunts of the jail. Uh, but Tom and Michelle will be leading it. And I'll just be, uh, but I am along for the ride. And I will not be standing behind them going, you know, it's no, not right. You know, <laughs> anything like that. They're not tour guiding it. They're just hosting. So got it. But uh, I would probably say that I mentioned the conference and uh, this is the last time I'm going to bring it up. This is it. Uh, until we talk about what happened at the conference. Yeah. Um. This is the end. Um. Tickets uh, this Friday, June 16th. That's the last day to get the discounted tickets. After that, it's higher at the door. So uh, when you hear this on Tuesday, the thirteenth, know that you only have until the sixteenth to get um, cheaper tickets. Um, and we are this is gonna be, this is gonna be our best one yet. Uh, there's no question. In my mind, I have spent uh, a lot of time over the last couple of weeks working with the venue and getting all of our ducks in a row and is this is going to be the best one so plus i got my new book coming out that weekend well mine and amanda Woomer's book coming out so yeah yeah. hell hath no fury 3 so it's coming out at the conference if you're somewhere far away and you can't make it um it'll be out um on the website on the 26th but um this is like i said last chance website ghostconference.net uh see the new location see the new stuff we're offering this year see cody and i uh and we hopefully will see you so that's it no more talk about the conference so we're done we're done we're done <laughs> we say we're done we're probably done well no we, you know we'll have a special episode of the conference stuff right. coming up in a couple of weeks but still you know yeah that's so, it awesome yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I look
1: forward to seeing everybody there and taking your ghost stories and, um, you know, viewing the campus and
0: everything and seeing the new stuff they have and seeing We're just, just recording how, dip, how things about us that you just love. You know, yeah, we, we have, this is why we love the podcast. You could just sit and talk about how great we are. So. That's pretty
1: much. Yeah. So There's going to be a ghost story <laughs> panel, but then there's also going to be a just tell us why you love us. Like, yeah, that, that'll be what Cody's podcast.
0: recording. So, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, people loving us and talking about cool stuff, uh, we have a great listener review that I want to share. This one comes from uh, Kay McQuarters, and it says, on my short list, dot, 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 uh, it says a great blend and balance between history and other worlds. Troy and Cody share unique perspectives on the subject matter at hand and are entertaining nonetheless. So <laughs> I, I was
0: like, okay, you know, just our, we're our own biggest fans. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yes, I'll take it. I mean, <laughs> I, I I think we're entertaining. We entertain
0: me. It, we entertain each other. That's you know. So <laughs> yeah.
1: So th- okay, this episode. Is these stories are super sweet, and um I know, like I know, with a lot of these, you kind of start off with a, a sh- kind of a shorter thing, and then dive mm-hmm.
0: into the longer mm-hmm. one that, that uh, some way relates. I yeah, that's exactly yeah.
1: absolutely. And so I knew none of this about this Agatha Christie. Oh, thing. really?
0: You didn't know about that? Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It reminds me of though. As I'm working on it, I'm like, haven't we done this before? You know what it was? It was that when we did the L.A. season, the Hollywood season, and uh-huh. we did the thing about Amy Simple McPherson. Remember, she faked her kidnapping. Yeah, claimed that she was out. You know that she'd been taken out to the desert and she was really like shacked up with a boyfriend. Right. Uh, you know, married guy in the mountains somewhere. And I'm like, oh, this is almost the same except that she was on the other foot. Right. You know? But yeah, it's an interesting story. I, I've always thought it was was kind of cool to. To follow because it's you know and then of course it tied into last week's episode or our last episode with the amnesia storyline. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's, that's there. it's been tried you know numerous <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. It seems like oh, and I'm going think... to use that one of these days. I'm telling you, I don't I don't remember a thing. I I fell out of the car, I hit my head. I don't I don't remember any of it. So that was not me.
1: And so... that's that's the thing <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about, and I'm sure because I would say more often than not, it's that. People like some people probably have a mental break, but I'd say most people just need a break,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so they thinking. just use this, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I i do feel like I've seen this like scene in a movie or something like trying to push a car into a quarry and it oh, just yeah, like sure. getting stuck. Well, or something. that's uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and then, um, and well, in psycho, they push the car into the swamp somehow. The, oh, right, you know, we remember, somehow, the the Bates Motel is out in the middle of the desert, but there mm-hmm. just happens to be a swamp somewhere nearby Very Convenient where that came from. But yeah, they pushed the car in there and I have seen it done a lot of times. I still remember, um, man, I guess it's been years and years ago, but I was living in Decatur at the time. And there had always been these stories about how no one would ever dredge Lake Decatur because no one wanted to, you know, anyone to find out what was in the bottom of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because and and it is true like in the 20s and 30s decatur became like this huge kidnapping you know like venue like Mm. anybody who got kidnapped anywhere around illinois for some reason they dump them off in decatur and that's where they'd be found a whole bunch of them happened but anyway so this was like gosh i I don't remember when when the year was but they the water was really low and they were doing some dredging in the lake and found a car Mm-hmm. in the bottom that someone had rolled off into the lake at some wow. point, and the body was still in there still in the car <laughs> it Damn. had been there for a long time so but nobody would ever looked because yeah, it was so dirty that you know it's a filthy lake right so-
1: <laughs> yeah i guess it's just like if it's like if it's really low it's like fine but if it's not it's like let's just keep yeah. these cold yeah. cases let's and like just leave
0: it alone yeah, yeah. i always see. wondered how many people there were out there wearing you know concrete underwear Mm-hmm. out in that lake somewhere so yeah I don't know, we'll probably never know what a way to go
1: um <laughs> but you talk they talk about you know yeah young woman at christy leaves her daughter and cheating husband um and they bring in her dog to try to find the scent but i love it you said it
0: stops it they call it the silent pool Uh uh-huh that just sounds like i know doesn't it sound like lake decatur or whatever yeah (laughs) yeah. well and it just you know rumor had it was bottomless you know and then that's always a good one too that's that's our blue pool story at Mm all you know how it used to supposedly was bottomless same kind of thing and you know they're bringing the dog in looking for her and nobody can find her and you know people are freaking out because they're agatha christie fans it's you know yeah kind of like the uh you know like when stephen king got hit by the van you know, back in the nineties, yeah, uh-huh. you, know, you get hit by the van, everybody thought he was going to die. And it was like, Oh no, what are we going to do? We won't have any more books. And I think it was kind of the same kind of thing uh, with people gotcha. here, but well, she's gone, what if she killed herself? What if somebody murdered her? You know, we'll yeah. never, we'll never find out, you know?
1: So. Like, yeah, I mean, just the, this... Does somebody do you feel bad if ten to fifteen thousand people come
0: searching? for Yeah, you? I would, but that's probably why she went with the amnesia angle uh-huh. um, rather than the "I thought I would get back at my cheating husband" angle, which uh-huh. was more accurate. Right, so, and and I'm sure she would have found a lot of sympathy if, but you know, they weren't going to air their dirty laundry. These things that we know about him having that affair, that all came out much much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they remarried years later. You know, he married the, you know, just by coincidence, happened to find a woman who had the exact same name that Agatha had used to check into the spa. That's you, so that is such a coincidence. It's a small world it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love so, that. But nobody that knew angle. those things at the time, you know. So it, and so her airing her dirty laundry of my husband is cheating on me. I mean, she sent him a letter, which he refused to, you know, tell anybody what was in it, you uh-huh. know and um i don't know it's just it's a it's a good story and i thought well you know i'm just thinking i, I thought you know when i went to put this episode together i'm thinking you know i always try to, try to kind of combine this stuff and mm-hmm. i thought who's a writer that disappeared and i went oh i got it there <laughs> <Yeah. you> go. <laughs> so you Got so that was busy. a fun one it's not american but everybody knows who agatha christie is so and if you don't you've been <laughs> living in a cave or something, right but um most people know who she was so that kind of you know, yeah and i
1: i thought just her using one that one. name to check in oh, was, uh, was yeah that's yeah. just like it because they know you know as soon as he hears that
0: his ears oh, probably yeah. perked up it's just like uh-huh. oh shit and he's like yep i don't know who that is and neither does my wife you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i can just picture this guy you know uh i'll make sure that i get a photo of him too to Perfect. send you so you can post it on the site so people can get it because you know he's one of those you know stiff upper lip you know stick oh, up sure. his rear you know, in proper Englishman you just know it so mm-hmm. yeah you
1: know. it wasn't uh when you talk about that Stephen King thing too was was that when he was like on all the medication and
0: wrote like Dreamcatcher or something that he no that remember? wasn't medication I mean oh, it, it is oh, it depends oh. on what you like to call I medication. Thought it okay, okay um no 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 um those were those were other types of North got North it North okay I thought that was yeah, when he was which in the he's freely admitted so I'm not saying anything oh sure sure it. sure I, you know he he knew he had an issue there for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some stuff there that he doesn't like. I think if I remember correctly, he doesn't remember writing parts of Tommy Knockers. Okay. And I for good reason, you obviously I would try to forget it. That's the one of his, that's one of his and dreamcatcher. Neither one of those do I much care for. Yeah. Maybe it's because they have a common theme of aliens. I uh-huh. don't know. But I don't much care for either one and I've tried to reread them hoping that I just read them at the wrong time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nope. Just bad. <laughs> and he, he admits it. So he's, he's honest about it. Yeah. So.
1: I like um, even the, I know the Dreamcatcher movie is also ridiculous, but oh, I, I love like when people i I think I listened to, some podcast about it and then talking about like how it's like almost in like the third act when like what is it Samuel Jackson and like the military show up and stuff and it's like <laughs> yeah. wait we're introducing all this shit,
0: like I know wow. I know and you know like, it's got a good cast That's it is thing. a great cast because we've talked about this, the yeah. problematic thing about that one is the I don't know how we're turning into a Stephen King podcast but we'll cut this short here in a second yeah, but yeah, yeah. the problem is is that it's one of the instances where he's got one of those problematic characters you know, um, like in The Stand with Tom Cullen, mm-hmm. you know, the magical disabled man, uh-huh. handicapped man. That's always that's that's a problem. Um, there's also, you know, for the longest time, he had the magical Negro trope, oh, uh, which people have called him the carpet on. But the thing is, he, these I love these characters, these characters he created, you know, Speedy Parker, Mother Abigail, you know, uh, and and uh, Green Mile, John Coffey, You know, you love those characters, but again, people look at it and go, "Yeah, these are the only black people you have in your books." Yeah, and they're always magical. Why is that? You know, uh-huh. so and he acknowledges that. You know, there are some things he probably could have done different with a yeah. few things, but yeah. who knew? You know, that was the thing. He he wasn't. You could say, "Oh, yeah, that's not woke." Well, it's not woke because he didn't even know he needed. He didn't know he was asleep right time right. right so i mean nobody oh, knew boy no so you can't you can't judge it by that but anyway yeah. i don't know how we got on to stephen king other than That's i fine. brought up a van accident now I, I anyway yeah. we should go on we're, it, we're we're on books and authors and so i guess it fits right it does yeah
1: and if you do watch Dreamcatcher and you don't realize that donnie Wahlberg's in it go back and look and you'll be you'll be amazed <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay well let's let's jump to the topic at hand then uh, <laughs> barbara barbara new Newhall Follett, Follett. Mm-hmm. Follett. Okay, had a, a had a note on her door when she was <laughs> writing. It was just eight years Favorite old. Things. I yeah. when you I was reading this note and I was like, what a pretentious. She's eight.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> she's eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought that was. I probably thought it should be mentioned that of course she was eight when she hung that up, and that's starting yeah. her first novel. And so. that's
1: already. I mean, bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how old were you when you started kind of jotting stuff down or putting together? Little uh, short stories or I know, anything? I a lot
0: of probably, well, sixth grade. So okay. I guess maybe 11 or 12 or something. Got it. So I wrote, yeah, I wrote some uh novel novellas i would say novellas (laughs) yeah got it uh i'll
1: have to ask you more about those at a later time i'm very curious (laughs) uh she's a child prodigy begins her first book the life of the spinning wheel the rocking horse and the rabbit that's just i mean she's great title great title yeah
0: i know it's it's like the line, the witch in the wardrobe but it is you know slightly different and Uh i you know think it probably would have been uh would have caught on you know you never yeah know, so. i
1: did um i did actually end up ordering one of her books on um, the house without windows oh, or whatever yeah. whatever version i could find of it yeah at least. yeah yeah
0: um because yeah it sounds great but i love it's just interesting th- you know it's, it's interesting to know she was 12 when it was published you yeah. know and you're like how yeah I mean, it's that good you know? And
1: know i, I kind of wish that i would i would have had um sort of uh, that i, I would have had the ignorance still so i could have read it sure. and then found it and I then it found 12. yeah but i'm uh, sure
0: a lot of people did
1: yeah, I'm sure yeah. a lot of
0: people did do that. So, and I
1: like how when she's talking about the other kids, she says, "You don't understand why I have my work to do because at this particular time, you have none you at all. You don't
0: have any to do." So that and that alone. is
1: very true.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah. also, it's like, damn, to, to th- I know think yeah. about that well, at that story. She was a little. Further ahead than her playmates, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway,
1: so it, yeah, creates an entire language and vocabulary uh, that are spoken by the inhabitants of, of Farsolia. Farsolia, Solia yeah. <laughs> which sounds like a, such a weird sci-fi, like uh, yeah, it sounds like a planet on. Star Trek, yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. Or the, exactly.
0: The Solia system. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah, but Farxolians. I mean, solians Even to like,
1: I mean, gosh, when I was a little kid, I remember Charlie and I had an imaginary friend named Simon. And that we shared Um, that, but I bet he, he, I know, (laughs) but we were together every day, but um, he, he probably came up with them, I'm guessing, but like, that was kind of as far as we took it. Like if you asked him, if asked us any follow-up questions, you know, he'd be like, yeah, Um, but she created this whole, this whole whole world and language, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I guess to be that creative, you gotta be a little out there you yeah, know and, and i guess. that's just kind of how it seems to go um she writes a story of a young girl who ventures into the woods and vanishes becomes a part of nature um her her, her book the house without windows at age 12 and her father like you said who's um you know editor and all that stuff he, d- he does something that i think is really smart where he says i'm yeah. not going to tell people oh this is my daughter gonna be like right here's this thing this right. you know unpublished author what do you think and it blows up um, which which is amazing, but you said the critic and Carol Moore is not impressed, so she should be out <laughs> playing with the kids, <laughs> yeah. which,
0: yes and Well, no. and, Well, the thing is, though, as it turned out, yeah, you know, um, things didn't really go as uh-huh. well as she had hoped. Well, so, and I th- I think that's so she just... wasn't completely off base, as I it know. turns out, unfortunately.
1: I guess so. I wonder if, like, you have a child prodigy of, of anything, or like a virtuoso yeah. musician yeah. or whatever, like a child actor or something, it's like... How uh, I guess you you probably do want to help have them still yeah. be a normal I mean, kid, yeah, but they're not. Do normal. they really
0: have a childhood? Yeah, you know? I mean, when you go to school on set, yeah, know, a tutor comes in to do your schooling for you. You're not around other kids, and and you know I think we've seen so many instances, you know, over the years of what happens to child actors. Not all of them. I mean, yeah. not a lot of them were smart enough to keep their wits about them and mm-hmm. grow up to be pretty normal. And yeah. most of them that do, though got out of acting, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But not all of them, a lot of them stayed in it and it turned out okay. But yeah, it, it's, I think um, it's a tricky situation with that kind of fame at that kind of age. And, you know, this was at a time period, you know, where, you know, I guess the, the only thing you could compare it to maybe would be an actor the same age. And you look at like Shirley Temple, mm-hmm. who said she was going to stop when she turned 18 and she did. She yeah. quit. And that was enough for her, and she went on to have a successful life and become like a, a an ambassador and all kinds of stuff. So she really she got her kept it together. Um, a lot of kids didn't, uh, like the kid that played Alfalfa on The Little Rascals, who ended up committing suicide at like age seventeen after being strung out on drugs for years. You yeah. know, it's just you just never know where it's going to go. But you know, when you're looking at that time period, it's it, it's, it's even more different than it is now. I mean, look at the two Corries, for instance. Uh-huh. You know, there's a couple of examples of child actors who neither one of them ended up great this situation. You know, and um, you know, one's dead. The other one, you know, is so traumatized by the stuff he went through that he'll probably never, you know, ever feel completely comfortable in his skin. You know, so I don't know, and it's um, so I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know how to take that. I mean, it was kind of a it's a shitty thing to say uh to a kid but on the other hand she fought her own battle there yeah you know i mean her 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 letter back was better written than the you know than, <laughs> than anything I, so, anything i've ever
1: yeah. written <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, yeah and i th- i kind of equate it to almost like I used to be very against like college, you know, and high, that typical higher education thing because I did my own apprenticeship thing. But I've come back around and now I tell people, I'm like, if you're going to go to college, like do something just for the social aspect, you know, yeah. like get to yeah. know people, go to go to parties, do this. So it's like, yeah, kid, go outside, ride your bike, fall over, scrape yeah. your knees, yeah. you know, yeah. um, Good point. but
0: um yeah, so it's, uh, second second book, the Voyage of the Norman D is okay. Written. But okay, so okay, but how this how fucked up is this part of the story though? How they had to they She's took her thirteen, own, yeah, and they book her passage by herself, yeah, on a boat back. full of sailors, yeah, to go from New York to Nova Scotia. Does and, that sound and, and smart? And no, yeah, and does that just, sound smart to you? And it's just yeah, no regard no for her safety. Okay, so that's you know that's definitely a different. I don't, I'm not even sure most people during that time period would do that
1: yeah uh, oh, like really?
0: boy probably you know they probably would because shed at 13 practically starting his own farm and getting no i this was <laughs> right. the 1930s but you know if <laughs> we'd gone back a hundred years he'd already be married and starting his own farm but in this case though i mean this is weird yeah. this is just weird that's how out of touch these people seem to me to yeah be. well this um, is the parents just seem to be those well you know who they remind me of pageant um, moms no, 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 no. Because they're not helicopter parents. I, oh, okay. they're, this is like um, uh, Everett Roos' parents. Kind of crazy, uh-huh. you know, floating all over the place, starting their own literary journals. And yes. they seem to be that yes. type of okay. people from that time period. These literary, airy-fairy, you know, head up in the sky kind uh-huh. of people. And they tell, oh, well, you know, she'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, I'm an an editor. I I float around to different publishers and, you know, and all this. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure they were. They were okay because she obviously cared about them because her life was ruined by her father. Yes. Uh, But on the other hand, this is weird. It's just weird.
1: It's weird, yeah. Total neglect for her safety. And- well, on the
0: other hand, I was speaking about Edgar Allan Poe last night, and his wife was 13 when they got married. So I, you know, oh Edgar, you should think about that. So. Oh Edgar. Oh, so, um, oh, so
1: all this, gee, so a lot of the stuff he wrote about and was torn up about was about
0: <laughs> essentially a child. Well, she died when she was 24, so at least ah. she eventually became of age. <laughs> it Jesus. Just took a while so uh well like you mentioned her father uh,
1: eventually abandons the family for a younger woman um their mother kind of i get their mother abandons her essentially drops her off with some friends Yeah, pretty
0: much i i think she just um i think her she wasn't quite with it either i mean i think her you know i think her whole situation kind of spun out of control too and so she drops her off with family friends in california and just takes off and leaves her behind you know and she you you don't do that to a child genius they're gonna do whatever they want to do so she obviously did Mm -hmm. you know yeah she makes 29 (laughs) yeah right which is a great time (laughs) yeah um but
1: returns to new york city to work as a secretary Uh, i'm guessing i either did did she not make a lot of money from this or did the parents just take the money and run well i
0: think the money that they had i think the dad kind of just wiped out the accounts and didn't Ah. leave them a lot of money and you know, different time period, kind of probably a lot harder to, you know, uh, enforce the alimony, I mean, right. child support, that, that kind of thing. So they just don't have any money. And by the time you get into 1930, we're creeping into the, you know, a horrible depression that's going to last for years. Mm-hmm. And so she's taken whatever work she can find. And so we know she can type. So she takes a class in business typing, which I liked her line about a decidedly more tawdry use of a typewriter's magic yes that was beautiful becomes a secretary but still keeps writing in her spare time it's just i think that you know i think this thing with her father just so knocked her off her axis that she could never get it back Mm -hmm. you know i I think she still wanted to write i just don't i just don't think that she had the you know uh the vision for it anymore yeah really you know she tried but it didn't really work out for her.
1: Yeah. And I mean, damn, it's just it goes to show like if you can even kill the spirit of a
0: child prodigy, like genius yeah. like that. Then... And the thing is, she's still in her teens at right. this point. I mean, she's not even 20 years old and she's, you know, and her her writing career is already over. You know, I mean, that's insane. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she she uh, she finally finally is just like, OK, I just want a normal, normal life. And she ends up eloping with uh, Nickerson Rogers um, and she still needs to have some stuff she needs to figure out. So she can travel
0: to Europe, dances a housewife with no college, no anything. All she knows how to do is be a secretary. She can't write anymore. So she decides she needs to, you know, again, I'm I'm thinking the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Mm -hmm, Her mm -hmm. parents were just as flighty as she turns out to be, you know, and so she just needs to get away. And so takes the money that they has and goes backpacks through Europe. I mean, that in itself right there is the, you know, that is the equivalent, the 20th century equivalent of I'm going to find myself. Right, you right, know? right. So because, yeah, you know, she stayed in hostels and, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's the whole the whole stereotype, but, you know, works jobs when she has to and goes takes dance classes and stuff and then just decides to roll on back home you know thinking everything will be fine and then she just learns that pretty much every man in her life is yeah, just yeah. a piece of shit and yeah, yeah her well, husband's yeah, cheating on her and... her husband's been banging somebody the whole time she's been gone which you know i'm not excusing that but on the other hand you know kind of figure did just take all the money you had and go backpack through europe so is she ever coming back yeah who knows you know there Yeah, you can see I'm not completely. I mean, he turns out to be a dick, but you know, at that point, you're thinking, well, I mean, even she said, I know this was my fault in a letter to a friend, you know, but oh. I don't know. Just yeah, it just wasn't,
1: wasn't yeah. this terrible situation and terrible yeah. decisions on both their. Oh, yeah, parts. absolutely. And she starts taking sleep. I don't think there's and... anyone
0: in this story that makes a good decision. No, I, it I really doesn't don't. seem like no one, it. no one, not it her doesn't, father, doesn't not her mother, like not her, not the husband, nobody.
1: No, uh, she she starts taking sleeping pills. Things get kind of dark. She finally leaves and isn't reported for. She's reported missing for two weeks, and then police wait another four weeks to file reports. Yeah, and then um, Helen
0: eventually starts writing like well, like uh, open letters. And stuff yeah. Well, like, here's the thing though, adults can disappear anytime they want to. That's not against the law. Right. Right. That's right. why a lot of times you know they, they you hear about shit, and I think we've talked about this before, but you hear about how people go to the police because someone's missing and the police tell them that they have to wait 24 hours. That's not true. Really? I think we've talked about this before. That's not true. So oh, I always thought if it was, anyone yeah, the in your life goes missing, you can file a report immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about an adult and it doesn't, there's no signs of foul play and mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be anyone involved. There's no evidence of, you know, blood stains or anything like that. They're not going to look very hard. Yeah. Not at first, unless you can prove that they disappeared under some sort of strange circumstances. An adult can disappear anytime they want to, as long as they're of age and the cops will not look for them. Yeah. uh, Unless there's some sign of foul play, they just won't because it's not illegal to do this. So the fact that she just walked away, you know, and yeah, I don't, I mean, he, he really made no efforts, but on the other hand, why yeah why would he, he yeah. just probably figured that well you know i was cheating on her the whole time she probably had enough mm-hmm. you know and it's still you know we're still talking about the 1930s here we're not even to world war ii yet back then you know people just disappeared all the time and then mm-hmm. it, because there's no way to track or trace people it's not like you oh we found where they used their credit card oh let's or, follow their cell phone well there right. weren't any of those things so as far as we knew she just walked away because she's sick and tired of his shit you know, and he probably thought, well, I don't blame her. I would be, too. And finally goes to the police when she doesn't even call or, you know, maybe doesn't use her bank account or something. And he sees that she's not doing anything. Then he goes to the police and says, hey, listen, my wife's missing. And uh, they finally file the report. But he never mentions who she used to be. Mm-hmm. That, that's the big problem. Yeah. And so if if if, if, it, if he had, there would have been enough people that would have remembered her story at that point. And they would have it would have made some, you know, front page news or at least some decent sized headlines somewhere that this girl who was 12 years old when she published her first novel has now disappeared. If anybody's seen her, but he never did. He just gave him her married name. And so years passed, years and years passed, like 20 years before her mother writes a letter about how her daughter just disappeared one day and, you know, never came back. And that's when people actually started to get interested in the story. But by the end, it's way too late, right? But there was enough interest; they started reprinting some of her books and stuff, which I'm sure her mother cashed in on. Uh-huh. This is a family, you know, what a great family. But um, but that's anytime you find uh, any print copies of like House Without Windows or something, it's normally they were reprinting in the late 60s. Yeah, because then yeah. they just sort of phased out, and, and most people never heard of her. Uh, yeah. But she was a big deal at the time. Um, and what happened to her? This is one of those cases. I think that um, she disappeared on her on her own. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was foul play involved. I don't think that I don't think her husband murdered her. I don't think anybody did. I think she just left and changed her name. And it was still 1939. You just move somewhere and start calling yourself something else. That's pretty easy to do back then. You mm-hmm. know and i'm pretty sure that's probably what she did yeah and was finally done with all of it nobody was ever going to let her down again so that's that's my that's my thought on it for yeah sure. so. well i mean i like that i hope she just kind of yeah
1: led a normal life, normal-ish yeah. life yeah. after normalish life yeah yeah well i have just the last thing i wanted to end on is a quote that you said here and then i want to ask you a question about it so, sure most of those who knew her best came to believe that Barbara simply decided to follow the storylines of her books, in which the characters went off to the woods or out to sea when their troubles became too great. She She'd simply tired of reality, they all thought. She decided to create a new reality from her own imagination. Now, I know you don't write fiction, but I was very curious about, like, how, if at all, like, have have you seen yourself ever reflected in your own work? Or is this it ever used as yours? Yeah, sca- back in the 30s, in I think I'd have been a great
0: bank robber yeah um yeah because it was so easy to do back then Mm -hmm. and i think i'd have been really good at it Uh so yeah so i do enjoy writing about that stuff um because you know there there really weren't any you know bank guards usually might be armed you know security was lax vaults were easy to get into Mm -hmm. you know dillinger had it down to like 45 seconds so i think it yeah i think that would have been uh Okay. You know, and, and you get to be an anti-hero to everybody because everybody hated the bank. I know we've talked about this. Yeah. Story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody hated the banks, So, you know, I think that would have been a blast. That's I know awesome. that <laughs> sounds I, awful. I know no, I get That's it. Like life of crime. No, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I, there are a lot of the things that I write about that I, I always have like a great interest in. And when I, when I did that book about, um, I did that book about, uh, Tutankhamen and the, the curse and all mm-hmm. that stuff, I, you know, Howard Carter always fascinated me as a kid because that was as close as I could for real life as I could get to like Indiana Jones. Right. You right. know what I mean? So, um, you know, that kind of stuff just always seems exciting. I I think I just was, I've always thought I was born in the wrong time period that mm-hmm. I would have liked to have done. That. But then on the other hand, then you look at all the bad things of that time, you know, no yeah. antibiotics, um, you know, smallpox, um, you know there's yeah. uh, dirty there's water. some downsides you know, it's, yeah there's some downsides there so yeah for for ordinary people no one wants to be an ordinary person in 1932 well that's mm-hmm. how you become a bank robber though because no sure. one has any money so I don't know it's kind of, yeah. of fun
1: <laughs> I like the uh, I think what well, I think it's like a John Mulaney bit or something it's like basically like to rob a bank back then and not get caught you just had to not be there when the police showed
0: up yeah that's pretty much it and if you're it's, even if you were if your car was faster than theirs, which <laughs> guaranteed it would be, yeah. because you just always picked, you know, high end sports car types, you know, with big engines, and the cops had these tiny engine little, you know, little cars, they'd chase you in. And it's like, yeah, they're never going to catch you. So mm-hmm. and you were better armed than they are, you know, because nobody was buying Tommy guns for the police department, even though you could go buy one at the the hardware store literally Jeez. buy one at the hardware store you know so i know you know it's just one of those things where it's that is funny though that's a Good yeah. To look at it
1: <laughs> did i ever tell you about um my idea that like for like an experiential type escape room thing where but it, but you just get an old abandoned bank and like set it up for people to carry out heists oh that'd be fun i, I think it'd be, be so blast. much fun right i mean
0: it wouldn't even, yeah because it really wouldn't even be an escape room it would just be you living out your fantasy island yeah, dream yeah. of being john dillinger exactly you, know, you got all these actors who are playing the people in the bank and they're you're just some you know yes you're either john dillinger coming in smiling on all the women and charming everybody and walking out with the cash or your pretty boy floyd no not pretty boy floyd Babyface nelson yeah and you're a psychopath and you're coming and just mowing everybody so (laughs) there's two ways you could go with that there's definitely a couple different routes you could go
1: with this i'm not going to do this idea but if somebody wants to take it and run with it yeah great idea i think it'd be i I got so many more details on this we could (laughs) talk about sometime but uh yeah um we just need to find an old
0: bank Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Um, no. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, my final
0: thought is just like she sounds amazing, and it's but it sucks kind like, of. Yeah, the, and she was but, done. Well, yeah, there's that, and and I do think that you know, just a different, a different mindset than you know most of us can kind of relate to. Sure. You know, I mean, it's it's again, it's one of those things where people talk about the the artistic mm-hmm. lifestyle or the artistic, you know, you know thoughts and dreams of people. And, um, you know, I think she just, I think her whole family, I think they were just kind of had their heads so far in the sky that they weren't really paying attention to what was going on around them you mm-hmm. know? Or, or like with her father, the damage they were doing right. to other people, especially to a daughter that you've, you know, built up and, and, and kept, you yeah. know, building her up and building her up and, and making her into something. I mean, he created, almost created a persona for her. And then, you know, abandoned it like yeah he's abandons the whole family including her and i think that probably well obviously it was i mean it was just devastating to her you know yeah and you know but i don't know if not again again though we're talking about people who you know their own needs are the ones that they're going to put first yeah father did it her mother did it i mean essentially she did it too so i'm surprised i'm surprised
1: that like her father though didn't like take her and like try to just keep cashing out
0: on her. Yeah. Like any, I, yeah, you know. I kind of was too, but you know, it's hard to say, you know, what goes on midlife crisis kind of thing, sure. is, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, he couldn't buy a sports car. So he just, right. you know, <laughs> found some young <laughs> instead. So I don't know. So. Oh,
1: uh, was there anything else that we, Went over, went over
0: i should no. touch back on it or no i think we're good man
1: awesome well then it is now time for our ghostwriter segment and if you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre you can email us at american hauntings podcast at gmail.com this one is titled apple reviews question mark explanation point and it's from kevin uh, it says, Troy and company, I posted a glowing five-star review on Apple, but I have no idea if it registered or not. Apple podcast reviews suck. Just saying.
0: You're not yeah, wrong. Well, we know. Thin- we, yeah, we just there's no other option. But yeah, he, we
1: he, said, he said, I prefer and support downcast for my podcast needs. Uh, fortunately, they don't have a review component. Yeah.
0: See, that's the problem.
1: Yeah. You know. He said, is there anything else I can do to throw some support your way? Uh, well, Kevin, I will say that your review is the one that I read earlier today. So it did go through. And thank you so much for oh, sending yeah. that. Cool. Um, I'm not familiar with downcast, but um, as Mm-mm. far as other things... You can do to support us. I mean, um, first off, like the easiest thing, tell your friends. Like, if you people like podcasts, you guys are shooting shit about stuff, or if they like yeah, ghosts, par- that paranormal history, um, true crime, just tell them about the podcast. Like, that's the easiest way. Um, you know, we also have you know the Patreon that you can check out.
0: Yeah, um, yeah we have and we've books, got our season threes and- running now of our yeah. other podcasts on there, so yeah, yeah, that's something of good. And you yeah, like you said, our events, uh, the books. All that stuff. We appreciate all of it. We really yeah. do. Yeah. And thanks for asking. And
1: thanks for going through the trouble to like try, even though you're not doing the Apple Podcast thing. Um, also check out Downcast. I'm like, I'm always kind of looking for different podcast apps. Actually, I don't even use the Apple Podcast app for myself. I use Oh yeah. Castro, um, Ooh. that that I like. Um, but because, uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, like the app and everything. It's, I know they're the biggest. Oh, it's, but it's a just, glitchy it's, app. It's just not that a glitchy great. app. No, yeah. it isn't.
0: And I don't know how many times I'm going out from a show and I'm trying to delete a download just so I can, you know, keep up. Free space, and so I know what I've listened to, yeah. And I will click on the arrow over and over and over, and it's mm-hmm. still showing the same one. And it takes like 10 tries, yeah, to get to where I can delete the download. And it's like, God damn, come on, yeah. So, but
1: yeah, Kevin, um, come hang out with us at some event, buy a book or something, or if anything else, just tell your friends, yeah, because we've always got registered. that
0: discount on the books, too. We so do use podcast when you check out or your promo code, Um, as Um, also at Cody's uh, shirt store, American Hauntings Clothing dot com and you can use the word just use the word podcast and you get a discount so that helps us too so yeah appreciate it
1: so. yeah so thanks for asking and yeah um and so regarding um patreon we have uh, some new supporters that i wanted to give shout outs to so thank you so much for supporting the show to angie j erickson jeffrey jeremy etta Susan, Adam, Edwin, Naomi, Charity, and Steven. So, thank you so much. I hope yeah. you all are enjoying the the HH Home stuff. It's been, I, I, I think it's like people trying to have talked about it other. Honestly, I this think is the best one we've done. Some of the best, some of the best episodes yeah. in general. Yeah. I think. I think so too. Um. Yeah, because the sound effects and the storytelling and just the way it's all flowing together. Yeah, um, I think it's really cool. And um. and you're also you're even like you're teaching me stuff about H.H. H. Holmes that I didn't know, Um. you know,
0: and well, I um, found a lot of new stuff. And so I've been trying to incorporate it in as much as I can and yeah. change some things around that are, are part of the legend that turn out to be not even even stuff I thought were accurate. Yeah, um, turn out not to be so. Yeah, yeah so that's super cool. Interesting. Yeah that's all i got man cool all right well sounds good so guys um we've already told you about reviews and Discounts and Patreon and everything else. So I guess I'm done. So, all right. Well, yeah, I'm
1: turning it over to you. All right. Well, this uh-huh. episode of the American Hauntings <laughs> Podcast was <laughs> written by Troy Taylor. It is produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends, neighbors. You know what? I already told them all of this Yeah, stuff we pretty did much tell them
0: this stuff. And but everywhere you, ch- you can listen
1: to yeah it. Yeah. Um, Americanhauntingspodcast.com yeah. for more info and Yeah, we put like up that. the photos
0: and stuff from each episode. We've been yeah. putting up photos. So uh, we'll yep. have some for this one too. So check it out.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and again, if you have photos from things we've asked for from the past, like um let us know, send stuff in, or if you have cool stories and things, or if you have questions or whatever, like hit me up at I haven't been getting too many ghostwriter things lately, so please send in stuff. Oh, sure. Um keep if you if you if you just want to tell me a story, that's great. If you want it on air, try to keep it kind of concise at least. Um but yeah, I really appreciate I read every single email that comes through, good or bad, short or long. So I really appreciate that. Um check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere else you waste hours every day when you're supposed to be working or
0: studying. We we promise we're much more entertaining are you still doing TikTok stuff <laughs> um a little bit D- slow down a little Not, bit yeah i don't know i kind of it was fun for a while and i've kind of i'm sure we'll defi- I'll, i'm sure i'll do some more at some point. we'll be posting some stuff on some socials yeah. during the conference for yeah, sure yeah, too
1: it's yeah, true um and i don't know I, I might do some like quick little live things or something i don't know we'll play around with stuff yep, but yep. yeah just follow us there um thanks for listening we couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it without you so until next time goodbye so long see you later. All right. Cool. That was, so, yeah, quick and to yeah, the point. not